Hello and welcome to Accessible Theology. My name is Aaron and I'm here with Michael. And we believe that God's thoughts and ways are high above us and in his kindness he stoops down and graciously reveals himself to us in his life-giving word. And our goal is to make the study of God accessible to our listeners so that we and you would better love God, know truth, and live accordingly. All right, so welcome back. We have another edition of Three Minute Theology today, and Michael will be stepping into the ring, and we're going to pick our topic right now uh, so that he knows what he's talking about. I usually don't. Well, (laughs) sometimes I wonder, but uh, number 15 on our list, oh man, unconditional election. Oh, wow. Okay. And our verse for this comes from Romans chapter 9. We'll look at verses 11 and 13. I mean, of course you go to Romans 9 if you want to talk about that. You can't not do it, right? (laughs) Romans 9, verses 11 through 13. Just to complete the sentence, I'm going to start at 10. So I'll read that for you, Michael, and you want to get a timer ready. Mm -hmm. And uh, thanks to my mom, we will not be giving each other warnings (laughs) because she didn't like that. Uh, So thanks, Mama (laughs) Bato. Yes, thank you. Uh, So we're just going to go. He's got three minutes. He'll be explaining this topic. We'll have a little bit of conversation about it. And... And listen in. So Romans chapter 9, I'll read verses 10 to 13. It says this. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved but Esau I hated. All right, Michael, your time starts now. All right, so unconditional election uh, from this verse, from these verses here, I mean, uh, would be explained in this way. Uh, we, are, we believe here at Accessible Theology that God has elected each individual person who believes in him. This is individual, we would say. It's not merely some corporate conglomerate uh, pile that he reaches out and grabs, but that God chooses each individual believer. And we believe that from verses like this, that he does so unconditionally. And what we mean by that is that God did not see any merit in any person he chose. He did not even foresee, as some teach what is called foreknowledge in salvation. They would say that God saw that the person would believe, and therefore he chose them. This is what an Arminian would say. They believe in conditional election. So they would say that God saw so-and-so would believe, and he therefore elected them. We believe here, on the basis of texts like this, that God, before he saw good or bad in a person, just like he uses the analogy here of Jacob and Esau, when before they'd done anything, God chose whom he would choose. And it was done because God made the choice. Now, we do not believe this is some arbitrary, God wasn't picking out of a hat. He did so in accordance with his perfect will, his perfect plan, and his omniscience. So this is not a, a arbitrary thing that we are discussing. We believe that unconditional election is the result of God's eternal decree 
by which he sets his eternal affections upon the person he will save. And again, unconditional election, meaning that the person and their merit is not involved in the consideration whatsoever. It is purely God's grace. It is purely God's choice that is the root of this election. Now, this actually gives confidence then in our security. So we've talked about perseverance of the saints before. It flows out of this doctrine. We believe that one of the reasons that we have confidence that God will hold us firm to the end is because he chose us before we had done anything good or bad. Charles Spurgeon makes the funny comment that the reason God chose him before he got here is after he had arrived, God wouldn't want him anymore. <laughs> and that's kind of how it is. Like after he chose before anything had happened, before we had sinned, the decision was made on the basis of God's sovereign good counsel. And we believe God doesn't do wrong. So we don't believe in any way that this is wrong of God. Or Every human being deserves condemnation. Every human being deserves God's wrath. And so when God unconditionally elects, he is showing mercy to those who don't deserve it anyway. That's why Paul can say later in this book that if someone answers back to God, they have nothing to actually say. God is perfectly right in his selection of whom he wills. Amen. And just as the timer was about to go off. Uh, thank you for that explanation, Michael. I've got a, a couple questions. Um, I'm thinking of, of two in particular, and I'm saying that mostly so that I remember that I have two questions that I want to ask and then okay. we can get into some other stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, being that uh, we, we believe that humankind, mankind, is totally depraved, uh, based on passages such as Genesis 6-5, that every intention of man's heart was always evil continually. Mm -hmm. How does unconditional election follow, and necessarily so, from uh, that teaching? Yeah, uh, we believe uh, because of total depravity and what is called moral inability. And what that means is that mankind is neither able nor willing to choose God. So mankind in our initial state, because we are all born uh, with a corrupt guilt, uh, we have we bear Adam's guilt from his sin. We also bear his sin nature. And so therefore we desire to rebel against God from birth. That's where we go. Whereas as uh, David writes in Psalm 51, we're conceived in sin. And so we would never actually choose God on our own, both because we can't do it, because of our moral vice, and also because we love our sin. Um, I, I've heard the analogy, I think John Piper used it, uh, where he said, it is not as though we are in a chair and we're tied down with ropes and God is telling us to get up and we can't. It's more or less that we're sitting in a massage chair of sin uh -huh. and we like it. Yeah. You know, humanity loves their sin. Yeah. And so they won't actually choose God because they are in love with their own yeah. sin. And so why it's important for this discussion is that if God was not to unconditionally choose who would be saved, no one would be saved, yeah. period. Yeah. None of us would come to God. None of us would seek God. Uh, Isaiah 64, I believe it is, when it talks about how our righteousness is like filthy rags, it talks about that no one seeks after God. And that's also quoted in Psalm, or I'm sorry, Romans 3. So we know that none of us are going to seek after God. So therefore, God, before we fell, before the foundation of the world, had already set his sights on whom he would save yeah on the basis of his own sovereign election. Right, so. yeah, so it's an act of God's mercy. Yeah. Because otherwise, we would, as you said, remain in our massage chair of sin. That, that's yeah. a good picture. That's very Piperian. Yeah, yeah. It's, it sounds, it sounds yeah. I, and let me add to this. One of the one of the common retorts we hear 
when someone hears of unconditional elections, they say that's not fair, mm. right? We hear that all the time. Paul, as I kind of alluded to right at the end of my uh, three-minute discussion there, was he says uh, in Romans 9, he deals with that, and uh, he says in verse 19, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Well, what does molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay? So what Paul's getting at here is God can do what he wants because he's God and he is owed our full obedience. And so when we fall into sin, he owes us nothing. And so he is not treating anybody wrong in his election. None of us deserve to be saved anyway. In some ways, I've heard it said that if anyone's being treated unfairly, it's the Christian <laughs> because we don't deserve our salvation. Now, that is ultimately not true because we believe we actually are um, deserving of our salvation because Jesus earned it for us. It's not like God is wrong in offering salvation. But it, there is a truth to the fact that God in not choosing to save some, which is a necessary consequences, which is a necessary consequence of his unconditional election, he is not wrong in that. He is purely just. I mean, Romans 9 is explicit in that fact. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I agree. And I think that it is, um, well, it, it leads into my next question. Mm -hmm. So how about I'll just ask the question instead of adding some thoughts to that. Okay. Uh, in your opinion, scripturally informed, obviously, I hope so. <laughs> how, how does unconditional election magnify the grace and mercy of God? Yeah, well, Paul gets into that in the next verse after what I just read in Romans 9. He yeah. says he says this, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction mm -hmm. in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory? And so God's gracious election and redemption of individuals that he has chosen before the foundation of the world is magnified in that he didn't need to, and he doesn't even choose everyone. Mm -hmm. He has chosen specific people. And again, some people are going to say, well, why didn't he just choose all? Is that like, could he not have done that? Yes, he could have, but God chose not to. And Paul is dealing very specifically and says, you, we can't find fault with this God. He is magnifying his glory. And, and, and Romans 9, and 23 go as far as suggesting that God receives equal glory for salvation and judgment. So when he condemns an individual, it's not as though God's losing glory or that he's showing something's wrong with him. In fact, God's damnation shows his goodness. It shows his justice. It shows that he will not acquit the guilty, but that he also shows that through these vessels of mercy whom he's chosen to be placed in Christ and to receive salvation. And it just dramatically and vividly portrays the riches of God's glory and grace in choosing these people that do not deserve it. And as Paul says in first Corinthians, he usually chooses the least likely just to show yeah, off even more. Yeah, like yeah. he doesn't choose the greatest in the right. world. He yeah. regularly chooses the ones that you like, even here in this text, he says, I chose the younger one, chose mm -hmm. Jacob, mm -hmm. not Esau. I'm yeah. not, he doesn't not choose. Yeah. Right. He doesn't yeah. go with the ones that the world would say, yeah. this is the best cream of the crop choice that right. God should have gone with. He demonstrates his glory by choosing the least likely and flipping the wisdom of the world on its head. Yeah, absolutely. And that is, um, not always an easy pill to swallow yeah. um, and we realize that and if if that's not where you're at you know theologically you know look we can have the conversation 
Mm-hmm. And, and you can you can bring your scriptural evidence and we can we can have that discussion um, and and surround it all uh, by scripture. Um, we're just you know laying out where we're at right now mm-hmm. and see that as the consistent teaching of scripture. Um, and if yeah, I don't, you have anything else to say on this? I'm, yeah, I would simply say that the glory that we should see in texts like this is that God would save any of us. Yeah. Um, it's so easy to get lost in the fairness conversations and right. miss Paul's main thrust, which is simply that God is so incredibly gracious. Like when he gets to the end of all this discussion, he gets to the end of uh, Romans 11 after he's unpacked this oh, yeah. doctrine of election. All he can say is this, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. And what we want to say with a text like that is just simply the reality is this, that God has declared that he has unconditionally elected the people that he's brought into his covenant people. Mm-hmm. That's how it works. That's it's, it's clear in Romans 9 here. It's difficult for our human pride and our finance to accept. And Paul deals with that. He calls us out. He asks us, how dare you, yeah, a man? Look yeah. at God. But, but he ends this text on this very big, glorious hymn of praise, mm-hmm. proclaiming that God will receive the glory and that God is good. And we, we want to rest in that. So in this conversation, again, it's easy to... Uh, get lost in sidetracked conversations, but we want to be clear that it is God's glory and it is a, a demonstration of his sovereign choice mm-hmm. and his goodness that he has done it this way. So. Amen. And so that is a good word to end on that we can praise the Lord for his mercy and grace uh, displayed to us in the sacrificial work of Christ on the cross who purchased a people for his own possession. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that is our conversation today on unconditional election. If you have any questions or, or if you want to reach out to us in any way, we've got a couple different ways you can do that. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to uh, have you recommend a topic or um, text for us to discuss. You can do that by emailing us at accessibletheology at gmail.com. You can find our anchor page, anchor.fm slash accessible theology. Or just find us on Twitter and do it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, accessible Theology, you'll find us there. Uh, so we just want to thank you for listening today. Hope you enjoyed this conversation and found it uh, beneficial, challenging even in some ways. And uh, as always, we want to charge you to love God, know truth, and live accordingly. Mm-hmm.